Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. It's Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. Over 35 covering sports in the H. And still trying to get my job back working right. But uh, bear with me once again. And if you missed it, I preview the Rockets draft and free agency with Frank from Rockets Chop Shop on Sunday. Go back and watch or listen to prep for this huge next few days and a look for Rockets draft reaction with a special guest on Thursday night. So we got the Rockets covered last show and the next show uh, for sure. And Sean, uh, we'll talk about some national criticism of a Texans position group a little bit later, but first... It's full-on Astros panic. It is panic. I mean, if you if you read into everything that we're hearing on social media, I guess, you know, there's no point in playing the remaining 90-some-odd games of the season. You might as just well pack your bags and go home. <laughs> but um, I feel like we've been down that road before. Um, and so I personally am not going down that road. It It's a long season, man. And... I just got to say, like, if if you look at this thing objectively, there's still plenty of room for optimism in terms of what this ball club is capable of doing. What Dusty's done to this point hasn't been uh, near good enough. Um, in fact, I think it begs more questions than answers to this point. Uh, Dana Brown, you know, again, I've gone back to this well a number of times, and I will until we see this thing through after the trade deadline. But I want to see just how aggressive he thinks he and this organization need to be. But until then, what you're trotting out every single day of this lineup, if I had to dumb it down to just one word and one word only, I'm not going disappointing. I'm not going inexcusable. Maybe those things are all in the same, but I just have to say simply underperforming because we know what these guys are capable of doing. And while they're not at full strength, in large part, Robert, your Altuves, your Bregmans, your Tuckers, Pena even, um, we know what they're capable of. We know. We witnessed it all last season and many years you know, before that. That's what I wanted to talk about, Sean, because, and we'll circle back to Dusty and Dana Brown a little bit later, but man, I need to address Astros fans and their misconception about what's wrong with his team. And I see a lot of shots at the low-priced worker bees, Maldonado, Corey Jolks, Jake Myers, et cetera. You are wrong if you're going after the little guy. The reason this offense is bad is the Big money. Your ex-MVP, Altuve, he's been injured most of the year. Former MVP, Abreu, did not show up the first two months. Your former MVP runner-up, Alex Bregman, former All-Star, he's having a subpar year. Sean, that's $70 million. And if you throw in the $27 million lost on McCullers and Brantley and the $11 million, on the bad contract of Montero, who's been terrible, that's $108 million in bad money. No team can come out from under all that. Well, maybe they can come out from underneath it because there's still plenty of baseball to be played, and maybe you can get the very best 
uh, out of those guys going forward. But you do have to have some sort of signs, some semblance for reason to have that faith. And look, I know what I'd said. It sounds like I still do. And I guess I do, because again, you call me the back of the baseball card guy, fine. But I, I, there's reason to hold on to what these guys are capable of, uh, what they've done before in the past to a certain degree. But at some point in time, you know, it's got to be reciprocated with putting guys in the proper position to be their best every single day. And I still don't think, you know, Dusty Baker's reached that point with Yanner Diaz. I don't think he's reached that point with, you know, a, a suffice uh, run with consistency with Chaz McCormick and him flip-flopping Jake Myers, you know, seemingly every other day or two. I just think there's got to be some realm of consistency. Allow your best players to thrive in their best position. And look, hey, with with no Brantley and Jordan hurt and you know look pitching that's been the silver lining they're still one of the very best in all of baseball okay so I give them that as much of the struggles as they've had themselves with injury and especially the back end of the bullpen but I'm really talking about the starting staff they've been amongst the very best and they've probably won you a lot of ball games that you had no business winning and you've had to rely upon some guys that you didn't think you would at any point this season maybe like a JP France or a Belak and Renell Blanco and now Belak's out and they brought in Sean Dubin within the last couple of days so well Sean it's the healthy starters that should be suing the rest of this entire team because it's not just the offense. The bullpen's been shabby. Yeah. Most of them outside of Mayton, uh, Neris, and a, maybe Abreu, it's ugly. Abreu has had his moments of bad recently. The defense making costly errors. And then, Sean, you started to get into it with Dusty Baker. Do you mind if I take uh, buy a couple of shots at Dusty right here? <laughs> Go ahead, man. Everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some fans think Dusty deserves a lifelong pass after last year. But I'm with those who feel a manager can have an off year just like a player can. His weird lineups start to matter. And we've talked about his weird lineups now for years. But they start to matter when your offense is struggling. Why is Jeremy Pena, who's an 868 career OPS and the number two hole being bounced around the lineup. And you and I talked about that right at the start of the season. And I said he needed to be in the two hole. Why is El Tube hitting in the two spot recently when he's your leadoff guy? He was all last year. He won a championship. Why was Abreu never pushed back in the lineup? We've talked about it the first two months of the season or benched occasionally for Yonner. Why doesn't Maldi get pinch hit for late in games, especially would you carry three catchers for most of the season? And Sean, it's easy for Dusty to say lineups don't matter, or this is some like analytical, oh, lineups don't matter when you're throwing out MVP candidates. If we talked about all these MVP candidates we had in the Astros lineup, including Jordan, who's not out there right now, when they're when those guys are doing their job, it's easy to say, well, lineups don't matter, but this is when Dusty has to earn the money. It was just color by numbers last couple of years with the lineups that they had out there lineups matter I, I i've i've honestly never heard him say that maybe he has before and i don't get it if he has said that but if lineups don't matter then why listen to the analytics department and you know plug guys in here and there depending on what advanced statistics say um that they're going to do against one pitcher you know to the next day to the next day to the next day i mean you've got a 
a proven sample size of Jeremy Pena being terrific and the team kind of feeding off of that when he's in the two hole. You know what Altuve can do in the leadoff spot. I know he hit two whenever Springer was here, but the difference is, and here's where I do kind of have a little bit more patience with Dusty in terms of the lineup, regardless of what he says about it or not. He's in a position to where you're dealing now with Jordan's injury. And they probably expected, I mean, I know they did, um, having Brantley back to this point and, you know, probably a month or month and a half ago. And who knows, maybe he's still a couple of weeks out from a rehab assignment. But that's nonetheless, like, you don't have Brantley, you don't have Jordan right now. You didn't have Altuve for a long period of time. And with guys underperforming, if you're Dusty Baker, you're trying to finagle this batting order in a way in which, you know what, you can just create a spark somewhere. You've got to be able to get your best hitters in RBI situations and maybe bouncing Pena around the lineup as he has. He's trying to get him more opportunities because he's actually one of the more solid bats. He's given guys like Jolks and McCormick uh, opportunity to be the table setter. Dubon, an opportunity to be the table setter atop the lineup. And But but let me just say this about Jolks. Let me say about Jolks. You know, Jolks has been really good, but Jolks is still not as good, especially in the clutch as Chaz McCormick. And Chaz McCormick, I don't know what's going on. That guy has earned to be out there every single day out in left field if Jordan's not there. And he deserves to be in the lineup pretty much every day with what he did last year. If you could do him at left field or DH, you want to play jokes every now and then to get his feet wet. I don't mind, but Chaz has earned it. And it just, it, it continues to baffle me that Dusty just, he doesn't like that guy for some reason even though he keeps performing and it's got to play with your confidence. You know, Chaz has gone up and down. He's been in and out of the lineup at times this year when you just don't understand why. And it's frustrating because, you know, Dusty's talking about back of the baseball, start looking at the back of Chaz McCormick's baseball card last year. He's got two years in the, in the in major league baseball and he performed great his second year. That's the back of his baseball card right now. He is a legitimate good he's not an all-star but you don't have an all-star so Chaz McCormick should be out there over Corey Jokes a rookie a rookie yeah and you know I also think that to that point you know Dusty Baker and we might see this a little bit more in the future just because until it changes I have to believe he's going to continue to operate as he has and that you're putting rookies like a Corey Jokes a Yiner Diaz in situations that they may not be equipped for. Dusty said it himself the other day when he was talking about guys that they're having to rely upon. They're being asked to, you know, make mistakes now at the major league level in which they'd planned for these younger guys to correct them and make them make those mistakes in the minor leagues this year. But because of injury, they've had to call these guys up and now they're experiencing, you know, those things and they're learning on the fly, if you will, at the big league level. And at what cost? Well, you're staring up at the Texas Rangers five, five and a half games, whatever it is right now. And you've got the Angels nipping at your heels and it's early until it isn't. At what point in time is this team going to get healthy? 
perform at an optimum level that we expect them to. You're proven guys like you just talked about, like we all just, we both just talked about and Altuve and Bregman, just to name a few. At what point in time is all of this going to come together? You know, sometimes it doesn't, Robert. You know, this is one of the things that it wasn't talked about really last year because it wasn't an issue. This team was so darn lucky. And sometimes it happens like that with no injuries. But Sean, it's not, we talk about injuries. The hardest part of the team that's been hit with injuries have been the starters. And the starters picked it up. You know, Belak, I know he's not the greatest, but he's been okay. And, yeah. and J, J.P. France has been darn good. You found yourself legit. a real starter. And and obviously, Robert and Javier are holding up, and Hunter Brown has been solid. So this is about Dusty. Like, I heard him the other day, well, we're putting young guys in positions where they're not used to. Is it the young guys that are the problem, or is it the fact that Bregman – isn't pulling his weight. Abreu isn't pulling his weight. Kyle Tucker isn't doing, you thought he was going to have one of his best seasons with the new shift rules and all that. He's been good, but he's not been, you know, this guy should be peaking at this point in his career. And I'm not blaming Kyle Tucker, but none of these guys, except Jordan on offense, have done what they normally do. And that's the problem. Yeah, it, it is definitely a major factor. Um, but there's not just one thing, you know, with this club. It's it's a culmination of things. It's everything that you just said. And it goes back to the word that I mentioned earlier, underperformance. It's obviously the case you're asking younger guys to be in a position that maybe they're just simply not ready for at this point in time. But you know what? You're going to be a big league ball player. You're going to be asked to do some things that aren't necessarily comfortable or optimal at at a certain stage of your career. And that's what Jolks is experiencing right now. Yonar Diaz is experiencing that right now. JP France is thriving in that situation right now. And I have to say, too, look, I know they just sent Belak down and called up Sean Dubin, but Belak, to be quite honest with you, I'd say that he thrived in that situation as well. Like the Astros needed some really good outings from him, and he supplied that for him. I also believe this. We've we've become very used to, um, you know, guys doing abnormal things. And by that, I mean overperforming, doing great things. It's it's what organizations get when you're as good as the Astros have been over the course of the last six seasons and hopefully a seventh, you know, that that is a trip and a long journey in a postseason this year. But we've expected guys to overperform. And, you know, we've had this, wow, man, look at this. Like, we got this star here. We got that star here and this budding star here. And here's a perennial MVP guy. I mean, all of it's kind of come together. And look, when guys get hurt, when guys underperform, it's baseball. It happens. Not everybody is a perennial all-star just because they were fantastic one year. I think we've become very used to that. And this very well could just end up being a down year. Is it a year in which I don't think the Astros make a postseason? No, I'm not there yet. Absolutely not. There's too much baseball left. I know there's a lot of teams in the running for it right now. They're in the mix of – they're one of five teams in the wild card race right now. They just got to get in. Because I believe that if, if this team puts themselves in a position to get in, that's when that veteran experience kind of can take over. And maybe when you've got 120, 130, 40, 50 games under your belt as a young guy, that can help in a postseason run as well to where you're not as nervous when you have to rely on a Yiner Diaz or a Jolks or a McCormick or a Myers or whatever the case may be. But 
I'm not there yet. I still think there's a lot of baseball to be played, and the Astros can figure it out. I also believe this, and I want to make a little bit of an excuse for the Astros players, and especially the bullpen. When you go six straight years as deep into the playoffs, you're playing an extra month every single year, which adds up to just about a season now that you're playing extra over the last six years. It starts to take a toll on arms, and it starts to take a toll on legs. And maybe that's affecting somebody like an Alex Bregman. He's had some injuries, too, so he hadn't played as much the last three or four years. But you don't know what kind of toll it takes on these Astros bullpen that not just went into October last year. I talked about it at the start of the year. They went into November, and then you had that baseball classic that I think was just on top of the Astros going into November they had to play in that baseball classic and you're talking about stressful innings stressful innings mean more Sean than just regular season innings so the Astros have had a lot of stressful innings both in October and November and in March with the baseball classic and did it affect Luis Garcia did it affect Jose Arquiti we know what happened to Jose Altuve uh you know, other guys yeah. on the Astros roster who've struggled have also been a part of the baseball classic and were a part of that run last year. So you have to factor all that in. I think it's a factor too, you know, to what degree. I mean, I don't know, but it, it is a factor. Uh, you know, to Alex Bregman's point, I mean, hell, this offseason, I mean, we talked about it. This is the first offseason where he hadn't had to rehab and how, how much of a positive, you know, that was for him. And with that came great expectation for this regular season. And despite we know that he's a notoriously slow starter, it's something we we accept. You know, you 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 just deal with, you roll with the punches. I'm sure if 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 he could change that about his back of the baseball card, you know, on his splits, you know, how slow of a starter he would. Of course he would. But at the end of the day, like it comes down to get in and let's roll. When the games are the biggest, when the lights are the brightest, you know, this team has obviously done very well. I know people are getting really nervous out there because you want to see your ball club play some really good baseball after Memorial Day, kind of start putting it together. It's it's a point in time, you know, where June, July, you know, the dog days of summer, I get it, but it's really about positioning. When you've got so many good ball clubs, Robert, like you do in a season like this, it's really something that I look forward to. I enjoy. I love the competition. I don't want to see a runaway. But you do want to see your ball club, when they're in the mix, start to put it together. And unfortunately, the Astros haven't had the fortune of even health helping them along. Like, they obviously put a lot of faith in Michael Brantley. Otherwise, you know, him getting the contract that he did for one year wouldn't have happened. They put a lot of faith in Montero, not for a 678 ERA guy. They still have a lot of faith in Stanek, another guy whose ERA is out of this world right now and not in a good way. I mean, there are so many things that have gone wrong that haven't gone according to plan. How is Dana Brown going to adjust? You know, to what degree can don't he panic? Progress? Don't panic, though. Don't panic. If you're Dana Brown, if you panic and make a trade that on a team that's maybe just doesn't have it this year, you know, he's got to figure out in the next month. Because look, the, the trade deadline is still a month away, and if Jose Altuve doesn't start playing every single day, you know, he's he, right now he's got uh, to sit down occasionally and. You know, he's got to be consistent and be out there. 
If Bregman doesn't pick it up, if Abreu doesn't pick it up, you're making a trade for a team that's maybe just doesn't have it this year. And you got to think about all of that. And I, you know, sometimes you just got to punt some year, Sean, if you don't have it, you don't have it because uh, you, you I, don't want to waste good guys, good young guys in this organization that you, that you could count on for the next few years. What you just said kind of struck me the wrong way. I, I, I get what you're saying, but when you use a football analogy, you know, sometimes you just got to punt. I immediately went to like David Cully and, you know, three and out, if we got a punt, we're okay. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> too soon, man. Too soon. Well, well he's putting up third down, though. That's the problem with David <laughs> yeah. Cully. Yeah. I get what you're saying. And you are right. I mean, it's Dana Brown's got to be, I think, calculated to some degree, right? I mean, there's no reason to make a panic move, an impatient type of a deal, because you don't want to put yourself in position to where at the end of this year, Whatever happens, and it's really hard to say this because there's so many ifs and ands and buts, but looking at it this way, Abreu's struggling, underperforming. Montero's struggling, underperforming. Um, those are two guys that you gave big contracts to, overpaid them to get them, to keep them um, in that regard. And you don't want to go make a move for a guy that is still owed a ton of money that's you know underperformed, i.e. like a Trey Mancini type, but Maybe he has like two or three years left on a deal. And Sean, if you're, if you're, if you're that's dangerous territory, man. If you're going to get a hitter, what position is he going to play? Is he going to play Altuve's position? Is he going to play Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Jose Abreu, Martin Maldonado, Jordan Alvarez, uh, Kyle Tucker? Where Where is he playing, this hitter that you're going to get? You know, it's tough because, you know, we talked about the corner outfield spot I think last week in our conversation and look at the guys that you've kind of relied upon this year to get you where you are right now. You know, McCormick and a jokes, Jordan's played out there a little bit, but I think we'd all agree. We'd like to just see him as a DH every day and have no problems about that going forward. If you could get yourself a corner outfielder, you knew was going to be a staple of this, you know, team for the next two or three years. Like, does that guy exist even? I don't know. You know, we got to look around and see what it would take. But if if you could get that guy here, somebody to solidify, you know, the top six guys in your lineup when you're at your optimum health, I think that would be great. Um, I still think the catching position should be open for big consideration in terms of improving there. I know they like what they've seen from Yonner Diaz. I know Dana Brown has. That's why he wants to see him out there on the field more for development and for the simple fact that he's killing left-handed pitching and is a better hitter, period, against anybody who's throwing on the mound than Martin Maldonado. And, oh, yeah, he's not a bad defensive guy as well. How um, hard, though, is it to find a catcher that can hit like Yonner Diaz and run a team like Martin Maldonado, because that's the only way Dusty's yeah. sticking him out there over Maldonado. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. But, you know, I, I kind of talked to myself. Uh, uh, if you remember our conversation last week where I did everything but kind of stand on the table for Martin Maldonado in terms of, like, his value that doesn't, you know, show up on a box score, I kind of talked myself out of it after you and I finished our podcast last week. And I started thinking, I was like, you know what? There's no reason why he can't bring that added value that doesn't show up in a box score, you know, that that mentorship, that preparation, get getting his pitchers and just players, period, ready to play from the dugout with extra time in the film room, just talking to him in the clubhouse. I mean, just being that that coach on the field, be the coach in a dugout. 
you know, because at the end of the day, you're playing every single day, most of most of the, you know, seven days in the week. It's not it's not optimal for this team. Maybe on air Diaz would be it. And I just want to see him have that opportunity. And you know what? If it flops, it flops. But at least you gave him an opportunity. Like Dusty's given so many other guys the opportunity to, you know, pass or fail in years past. Like, why is this year any different? I mean, I it's easier said than done. I started to say this earlier. Dusty's job isn't an easy one right now for all of the reasons that we're talking about. I mean, if it was easy to make this lineup out every day and stick with it, he would do it. But He's kind of hemming and hawing. I've heard him go back and forth. I'm like, well, analytics said this, but, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, a day after, you know, Jake Myers had a great day at the plate. Well, numbers say he's not going to perform very well against this pitcher this day. So I sat him and put McCormick in or I played jokes or whatever. It's like, trust your eyes sometimes, you know, be that old school manager that, that you used to be that made you so successful in San Francisco. Just be you. Don't trust the numbers all the time. And I think he's kind of doing this a little bit. And to what degree is that going to really end up costing him and the Astros this year? I mean, right now it's not trending very well, but there's still a lot of baseball left. I I still think Astros have it in them, but the guy that could help them the most probably is not on this team right now. It's whether or not Dana Brown can make that move and if that guy can perform with the Houston Astros, unlike Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini did last year. Well, no, the guy that can help this team more than anybody is not playing, and his name's Jordan Alvarez. And also, Dana Brown cannot make Jose Altuve healthier and playing on a regular basis, and he can't make Alex Bregman start hitting and Abreu start hitting consistently. And I know he's been better the last uh, couple of weeks, but we got to keep that consistency up. It can't just be for two weeks, and, and that's it. Let's switch gear to the Texans. And, Sean, was it Pro Football Focus that ranked the Texans wide receiver group the worst in the NFL? Was it was it them? Yeah, Pro Football Focus. Uh, they did their grades for all the receiving cores in the NFL, and uh, they had the Texans uh, dead last. And I guess that's not a surprise, to you know, to be quite honest with you. I mean, we, we know the Texans' receiving core isn't great, right? But I also think that, You know, look, yeah, the numbers are the numbers, pro football focus. I mean, that's where they hang their hat. I I also just think when you talk about this Texans receiving core, you have to take into account the back of the football card, right? Um, And where guys are projected to be and, you know, what their trajectory is. But I also think the reason why it's so difficult for people to see the positive and the upswing that a lot of these position groups are on and just this organization in general is because it's been a horrible three years and they have a lot of young players that are unknown and unproven to this point. Yeah. You I said it. There's, there's no back of the bait. There's no back of the card for John Mechie for tank Dell. Yeah. Uh, Robert Woods back of the card says he was out a lot the last couple of years. Uh, you've got a lot of guys that just aren't there, but I, I I'm not going to defend the receiving group being last, but luckily quarterbacks just don't throw passes, Sean, to the wide receivers. It's easy to mm-hmm. get caught up in that narrative, but I'm going to remind everybody they added a top five catching tight end and a running back with 38 catches last year. Devin Singletary was yeah. 18th amongst, amongst running backs in receptions, 22nd in total yards receiving, which ain't bad for a mostly third down back. So, Sean, 
you know, you, you got to factor everything in when you're talking about the big, so I get to talk about the receivers, but these are the guys that are going to be catching the passes and I'm, I'm just going to glass half full on this thing. I am glass half full on it. And, you know, a guy that you didn't mention may very well turn out to be the Texans leading receiver or one of them, you know, especially if uh, he's able to play another healthy season coming off the ACL injury. And that's Robert Woods. I I think, you know, this is a big year. And look, these are ifs. Okay, but this is going to be a conversation until it isn't anymore, until the Texans prove pro football focused guys right or wrong in this situation. But Nico Collins is another guy that has an opportunity. This is probably the last gasp for him in terms of being with the Texans and what he can show them that he's capable of. Can he be a number one guy? Can he be a legitimate number two guy in this offense for the Texans going forward with CJ Stroud and Bobby Sloak in this scheme? So um, I also think too, look, Damian Pierce, he missed the last four weeks of the regular season last year. And we remember that early on in the season, high leverage situations, third downs, he was off the field. Rex Burkhead was in. What would his numbers look like? And they were already pretty darn good, especially for a rookie in terms of being a pass catcher out of the backfield yeah, in this offense. Point. I think that's another another reason why we should be excited about uh, Pierce and Singletary, this duo in the backfield in a slow system that you know, is going to be able to have its running backs, its tight ends, its slot receivers in those positions as some easy outs, you know, some easy little dump off plays. Can you imagine Pierce in space running the way that he does after he has the ball in his hands? I mean, that's dangerous. Singletary, we know what he can do, compliments Pierce very well. There's a lot of serious threats based on just what we've seen in the past from these guys, but pure athleticism and this system under Sloak from the Shanahan tree does one thing extremely well. It's it puts their best athletes in space and lets them go make plays after the catch. One player, one rookie last year really, I think was hurt by being injured in training camp, Sean and Kenyon green was injured in midi camp. Yeah. Kenyon Green, we just assume he's going to be the starting left guard. But Kenyon Green, he needs to be healthy. And the fact that he hasn't been healthy recently, uh, that's a concern. Yeah, it's a concern uh, for sure. And there's no reason to believe that him coming off of arthroscopic knee surgery is going to be an issue going forward in terms of like, well, is it is it really worse than what we thought it was going to be? I mean, there's no reason to believe that right now. He's out. But. I think the fact that the Texans have so many versatile guys that they've acquired via the draft and free agency on the offensive line is a great thing for a young player. Playing next to Laramie was a really good thing for him last year. They're very close. Laramie's helped him uh, a lot. But I think having somebody breathing down his neck as a young player, as a high draft pick, a second round pick, is huge because it's going to be what he needs what any young player would need to take that next step that hasn't been a plug and play. And and just, you know what, you put him out there and you forget about him. Like that's what the second round guard should be, right? Like plug and play. Like there shouldn't be a lot of development as it feels like there is for a Kenyon Green. Unfortunately, it is that way. And the Texans, because they spent a second round pick on him, they're not going to give up on him. First round. They need, for, uh, it's a first round pick. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. They got to push him. 
they got to push him. They have to do everything in their power to optimize, you know, where they took him and get him to be the player that they believed that he could be, you know, and expect him to be much better in his, his first rookie season. I think he, he had some really good moments his rookie season, but there was a lot of low moments uh, that, that should be, you know, some cause for concern. Maybe not red flags, but, you know, you'd just like to see more. Granted, again, it was a crap offensive system. It was a crap team. Here's a year in which you're for real. You're trying to win. I think it should be much, much better for Kenyon Green. So long as this knee continues to progress and he's going to be on track for training camp, which, again, there's no reason to believe that he won't be. They say he will be. I, I think it should be glass half full for him as well. And I want to remind Texans fans, Dwayne Brown didn't look all that great his first year as a first round pick. I mean, his left tackle is a harder position, but, you know, we were concerned about him after that first year, too. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's that's Dwayne Brown. And look, just some guys, uh, regardless of the position, you know, were just slower to come along than others. But you just wouldn't think that, I mean, a, a, a guy that plays guard, you take him as high as the Texans did in the first round, you put him out there, he's going to be fine. This is a guy that's NFL ready. We saw last year that just with his body type, um, he's got some improving to do strength-wise. In all fairness, I remember having this conversation with you in the preseason last year, how intriguing it was to see how well he was moving laterally and getting up to the second level as a run blocker, um, as a pass blocker. You know, we it was a theme all season long. He even said it numerous times himself. He wasn't happy with where his technique was in terms of his hand placement, have a tendency to get tall instead of stay low. He needs to work on those things. And as a really young player who doesn't have that NFL strength yet, guys like that, they tend to make a pretty significant jump between year two and year three. Let's see what kind of jump he makes between year one and year two in terms of technique and, you know, hand placement and things like that. He could be in a hell of a lot worse situation than playing alongside Laramie Tunsil and having another really good, solid veteran right guard in Shaq Mason to help him along with some of those technique, you know. Yeah, I, well. I, yeah it, it seems like for me, I, I, from what I understand and from just kind of watching a little bit, it seems like it's more technique than mm -hmm. strength. But if it is strength, you know, I don't know how much strength he's been able to add with the injury and all that this offseason and 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 ha having to deal with that kind of stuff I mean I don't know what he can and can't do right now because he, he you know he he wasn't a mini camp of course we haven't seen him he, you know we haven't seen him so this dude had a lot of you know baby fat to him last year you know if he comes into training camp you know a little bit more felt a little stronger in the lower half um, and he's able to just kind of be that anchor in pass rush situations and, and, and be that protector. Um, I think that's what you want to see him take the biggest leap towards is developing that NFL body, developing that NFL strength and honing in on some of those refined things in terms of hands and, you know, just body control and things like that. I mean, he... He's a guy that's got to be able to stop 300 pounders, you know, in front of him, you know, coming to take CJ Stroud's head off. And right now I, I don't have all of the confidence in the world in him, but if he's able to show significant improvement throughout training camp and in the preseason, I think there's really strong reason to believe that this offense, which on paper looks like they really solidified their offensive line. We still have to see what Juice Scruggs can do at the center position. 
Um, but you should feel pretty darn good about that. That's where it's going to start with this uh, team is up front. It's with any team. That's where it always, you know, begins. But uh, you should feel pretty good about it if you see a significant step forward in Kenyon Green and, and some of those things that we just talked about. Any other observations? I mean, we went through all the OTAs. Uh, many can't. We're, we're, we're about to have that break before, that long break before training camp. Any last thoughts? I think something that's not breaking news, but something that people should be keeping an eye on all training camp long is the linebacker position. Uh, we've talked about like the the significant upgrades that the Texans have made this off season, you know, in the secondary, the addition of Jimmy Ward, you know, probably takes the cake there. We talked about the offensive line with Shaq Mason, you know, the interior line uh, with Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins just got a new contract. One of the best run stuffers in the league last year from the interior. I think he finished inside the top 10, number seven overall at his position. I think they feel really good about those areas in which they've approved. We talked about the receiving core, running back, quarterback, obviously. What about linebacker? You know, they brought in Corey Littleton. They brought in Denzel Perryman. Uh, they've got Christian Harris coming in. Hopefully he's healthy for his second year. We know injury and the lack of playing time really hindered him. He flashed a little bit last year, especially when he began to start. What kind of consistency can he show in the preseason training camp um, in terms of his awareness? We know his ability to go sideline to sideline, but just being able to be that decisive playmaker that we saw him be in college. Um, I think that's what uh, D'Amico Ryans wants to see and expects to see out of a guy like Christian Harris. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts potentially at that linebacker position, team captain Christian Kirksey. You know, what's going to be his story? Is he a keeper on this team? You know, is he going to be a cap casualty between him and Denzel Perryman to play, you know, the same position? Where does that balance, you know, come from? Can they coexist? So I think that's a storyline that I, I most definitely am going to be keeping a strong eye on come training camp. You talked about Christian Harris. And when you talk Christian Harris, I think of Namiko because it's a linebacker position. Mm -hmm. When you've been out there, what do you see as far as D'Amico? Is he working more with the defense? Because he's a defensive guy, does he? Is it split pretty evenly? Do you feel like he kind of goes towards one position group or one side of the football, or do you feel like he's just everywhere? He's kind of bounces around, but I mean, probably gun to my head, just with what I've observed. And you know, full disclosure, I got to be quite honest with you, I've not been on like D'Amico watch in that regard, like seeing where he's been. But every time I have looked up, I mean, he's been on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, to, to that respect, I have seen him, you know, with the quarterbacks fairly early on in workouts. It's just they're kind of going through the motions, um, you know, handing the ball off to the running backs, throws out of the backfield, just working on timing and routes and um, accuracy and things like that. He's been a little bit all over the place. Um, I have noticed that. But again, most of the time when I put my head up, I mean, he's right there with the defense, you know, when they're going through, you know, mock seven on seven drills, you know, uh, dropping into coverage and just going through the calls. Um, he's talked most notably about how vocal, you know, his linebacker core has been um, during these OTAs and rookie and uh, mandatory mini camp. So, you know, that he's over there paying very close attention because look, this is his baby. It's still a question of like, Hey, who's going to be calling the defense. He's got to be over there more times than not, because we don't know if it's going to be him. If it's going to be Matt Burke, if it's going to be kind of uh, this balanced machine, if you will, he's got to know who he can trust um, to get those plays and to command that defense 
what we have learned is that it doesn't just boil down to the linebacking core. A lot of the onus is going to be placed on the secondary and they feel really comfortable with, you know, a guy in Jimmy Ward, who's going to be able to, you know, be that center fielder um, and command the defense from back there. And if he needs to make some changes, he obviously has the flexibility, um, you know, to do that and the football IQ to do that. Yeah. He was hurt during mini camp too, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, he was out, didn't get a chance to obviously see him. A number of the Texans, you know, the last few days of uh, the mandatory minicamp, Damian Pierce wasn't out. He had an illness. Jimmy Ward wasn't there. Um, those are probably two of the biggest, most important guys that, you know, you wanted to see, um, you know, running around doing their thing that uh, that weren't there. But uh, nothing nothing seemed like significant or serious. And obviously, we know, John Mechie has, you know, the hamstring. But uh, all signs with all of those guys point to uh, being ready for training camp. I remember when Casario showed up, especially that first year with Cully, there was a lot of talk that Casario's hands-on out there uh, in training camp and mini camp. He was out there helping coach and being real a part of it. Do you see him? Have you seen him or do you know if he's backed off a little bit because D'Amico is D'Amico and maybe he's got more confidence in him or maybe D'Amico said, hey, I need some space. Do Do you notice anything with Casario? Uh, you know, look, I wasn't out there, uh, for the Cully year, uh, but I was out there every day, obviously last year for the Lovey Smith year and Casario is out there on the practice field every single morning. Um, if it's, you know, def- the defense would have their backs to him. He's way back, you know, um, you don't kind of off the field, but on the field, you know, just out of the play. I'll put it that way. Taking notes. I don't know what he's talking, you know, what he's taking notes about. But, uh, I mean, he obviously has a practice plan. He obviously knows what plays, you know, uh, they're installing and things like that. And I imagine he's probably making notes, you know, like, hey, this is what I saw here. And he's maybe consulting D'Amico with that. But um, I know, you know, and I witnessed it too, like he'd be throwing passes to players, you know, on the sidelines, you know, before during training camp last year and being very much a part of the mix. I haven't seen stuff like that particularly, but in terms of him being there, being seen, being heard, I mean, look, he's on the field every single morning, um, observing, taking notes, making his rounds, talking to people, catching up with everybody, uh, whether it be trainers, assistant coaches, uh, you know, other staff that. We see them every morning, but we don't exactly know what the hell they do. <laughs> you know, those are the guys that he's talking to. And um, sure, uh, there are conversations with D'Amico as well. But in terms of him taking a step back, so to speak, in terms of I trust D'Amico, a first-year coach versus a guy in Lovey Smith who is an NFL lifer, so to speak, um, I, I don't know that I saw and have seen much difference. I think uh, it remains to be seen. Think about it like this, Robert. You get a first-time NFL head coach, this is his opportunity to establish what his expectations are every single day you come in the room, every single day you come in the building. Jerry Hughes talked about that uh, this past week. Mind you, he wasn't there for voluntary, um, you know, workouts, but he was there for mandatory. And um, somebody asked him like, hey, you know, what what were your observances, you know, your first day here, you know, with everything that's gone on? And he was like, I can't believe the culture. I can't believe, you know, how vocal guys are. I can't believe the vibe in this building. You know, everything was just a positive. But those are significant changes that he has clearly seen, not just talking about schematically, defensively, what he's observed and been a part of, obviously, in the workouts, but just everything has changed. That all boils down to if you're Nick Casario, 
You got to let D'Amico cook, man. And he's let him cook just like Casario cooked during the draft. Um, and this is his opportunity to establish the culture. I think it's going to be very similar come training camp because there is an expectation. And the guy that's running the show every day is D'Amico. And he's got some NFL, you know, experience on his staff, just as much as there's a lot of newbies on his staff as well. I think when Casario feels the need to step in and offer his two cents, it's probably going to be behind closed doors as opposed to on a football field because the players are all in for D'Amico. All right. Well, I lived six years in the state of Missouri, and the motto was the show me state. The Texans, every single year, they've had a new coach in the last three years. And every single year, it's positive, positive, positive. Well, ah. You're going to have to show me. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, David Cully brought a positive vibe. Lovey Smith brought a positive vibe. I, you know, yeah, I know, context, context, Robert's been important. I know what you're trying to say, but context has been very important. Cully, you know, brought this positive vibe as they were trying to pivot away and failingly doing so from the Sean Watson mess. Lovey Smith, you know, being this stabilizing, grandfatherly kind of guy uh, who ended up turning out to be, a, you know, commergeny get-off-my-lawn guy at the end of the season. But I get what you're trying to say. It was all in effort to just divert attention away from other big news stories and things that could be distractions. This is for real. There ain't no crazy distraction right now. I mean, if, if you want to say there's a distraction, I mean, flick that little flea out of here. Uh, come training camp, if Steven Nelson doesn't have a contract yet, like, woo, you know, that's the biggest thing they have to worry about. I think they'll take that every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, it's just like you hear players say, oh, it's a different atmosphere. And, you know, it's like I, I, I know that D'Amico, who he is compared to these other coaches, but I also know like, oh, OK, we've heard that. Like, let's see it. Let's see it. I can't wait till we get to preseason so I yeah. can see what's going on and get a feel for all this stuff. Can't wait till we get there, but it just seems like it's forever away. I know it's only a couple months, but it just seems like a long time right now. It does but, because, uh, you know, the Astros yeah. are not reciprocating. <laughs> They're making this summer feel a little bit longer and a little bit hotter than it should be. Which reminds me, before we go, go check out that Rockets podcast that I did this past weekend with Frank because we hit on all the big Rockets topics. And then on Thursday, the plan right now is that I've got a guest on Thursday to talk right after the draft, right after Rockets two picks. And I'll put it up as quickly as I possibly can on, you know, what we thought and specifically what this special guest thought of the Rockets uh, and what they did in the draft. I actually don't expect them to take the second first round pick. I mean, we kind of knew that uh, going into the offseason because, you know, they got so many first round picks on their roster and they're trying to like turn the corner and, and they might be getting a lot more veterans here in the, off season, we'll see what happens, but it should be fun. And this is such, you know, I said it in the last show, but it's such a big week for the Rockets. It's a huge week for the Rockets beginning with this draft, Sean. And I'm just really anxious to see what happens because this is, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the next, not just one year. This is a big deal for the next several years of this franchise, much more so then I felt like we knew where things were going to go the last two off seasons and where they were this off season. We're like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because this is big. Amen. You're listening to Houston sports talk. 
Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.